The American Petroleum Institute, driving safety, environmental protection, and sustainability across the natural gas and oil industry through world-class standards and safety programs. Since its formation as a standard-setting organization in 1919, API has developed more than 800 standards to enhance industry operations worldwide. Find out more at api.org. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by API. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. And Happy New Year, everyone. Yep. Happy New Year, listeners. Happy New Year, Paige. Happy New Year to our ferocious watchdog sitting right here, Tucker. Uh, 2024 is going to be a great year. It's going to be a great year for the industry, a great year for us, and a great year for reviews. But before we get to the review, real quick, we have something new we're throwing in the mix. So besides um, the link to give us a review, which is lovethepodcast.com forward slash OGTW, it's just easier going to show notes and click on it. Um, we're now asking you to complete a one-question survey. It takes literally 10 seconds. The link will be in the show notes. And if you answer the survey, we will send you a collector's edition. Not really. But we will send you a laptop or a hard hat sticker, an OGN laptop or hard hat sticker for you answering this one-question survey. Like I said, it takes 15 seconds. Link's in the show notes. So please, audience, go in and, and answer the, the one-question survey. Speaking of reviews, we have a five-star. You want to read it? Sure, why not? I guess that's kind of my job, right? Um, Five-star review, great source of news, updates, and analytics. Well done and enjoying listening every week. Great weekly summary, updates on industry, key trends, analysis, all with a sense of humor. Thanks for sharing, and please keep it up. Sergi. Yep, so appreciate you uh, leaving a five-star review, Sari. If you'd like to be like Sari and get a shout-out on the show, leave us a review. Leave us a five-star if you love what we're doing. If you don't like what we're doing, I don't know why you're listening, but leave us a review. Well, it could be like, that, you one, like that one person that like banging their head on the wall or whatever. Oh, yeah. I hope they quit doing that. Oh, man. Yeah. For their sake. All right. So this is uh, First Friday Q&A. Um, and of course, as always, we start off with Ludwig. Um, his question is, I think the OGGN cookbook is a good thing to do. Count me in. Also, nothing than the best with merchandising. I don't know for certain, but I would go for a wife. <laughs> Keep reading. <laughs> so now you have one right in. If you know someone who is interested in a serious relationship with a 38-year-old legally blind dude who is financial secure, financially secure and retired. So, ladies, here's your chance. If you're <laughs> looking for a boyfriend. Is, it, is this what we're doing now? No. And by the way, audience, I'm not going to do this for anybody else. <laughs> we Believe it or not, we get... A lot of these on both sides. We get people that are looking for husbands, and we get people that are looking for wives. We are not a dating organization. There's no plans to have a um, a, a, a matchmaking podcast on the OGN Network yet. But Luvik's been a fan for years. He's looking for. Oh, he writes. He writes into all the shows. He does, and and we love the fact that he's a listener. Um, good guy. So, ladies, if you're looking for a boyfriend who is uh, financially secure, retired, and legally blind. 
um, reach out to Luthwick and uh, start the conversation. All right, next question. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough of that. Uh, comes from Carson Rory, who is a student at the University of Oklahoma. During the episode released November 22nd, you discussed the I, uh, the EIA cutting gasoline, uh, gasoline prices forecasts. You hinted at distrust towards EIA data because of underlying political goals of the current administration. Therefore, what sources of information do you use to analyze trends in supply and demand, and how can you trust those sources? Thank you for the weekly information. Your podcast is always insightful. So, Carson, a couple of things. Um, Check out energyrogue.com, and if that name sounds familiar, uh, they do our little uh, shorts every Sunday on our Sunday update. And if you haven't signed up for our Sunday up newsletter, shame on you. It's a bunch of good, useful, valuable, fun information for free put in your inbox uh, every Sunday late morning. The link will also be in the show notes for that. Um, so go check them out. They, um, um, I know these guys. I trust them. So that's why I use their information. Uh, they come from a long background of commodities trading and uh, commodities research. So they've done this for a living for some extremely large companies for a very, very long time. Um, I also have access to data sets that you have to pay for. And my arrangement with them is that I can't talk about who they are. I'm under non-disclosure. So unfortunately, I have access to data that a lot of people don't. And that's where I get a lot of my information from. However, besides checking out Energy Rogue uh, and and those, those guys, I also look at the Bureau of Transportation Statistics and Trading Economics. Both of them have good data sets that I believe are not as politically influenced as what you get from the EIA, at least in 2023 and uh, the beginning now of 2024. So hopefully, Carson, that, that points you in the right direction. Cool. Okay, so the next one comes from Joshua Bowden, a student at Texas A&M. Howdy, y'all. I'm a sophomore accounting major at Texas A&M University. I'm a Houston native, Sugarland, woohoo, uh, and have been listening to the podcast for quite some time now. I'm going through the recruiting process for investment banking for the energy sector of Houston and have recently found that commodity trading has uh, piqued my interest alongside this. How can I get my name into the trading world of Houston for oil and gas while I'm still early in my career? Thank you. Well, Joshua, (laughs) let me tell you what I would do if I was you. First thing is um, I would go to LinkedIn and I would actually search for uh, uh, energy trading jobs. Um, and you're going to find probably several hundred of them from all kinds of different companies, not just from the companies that you think of, but from from other companies that you think would not have an interest in this. Um, apply, right? Start applying for jobs, even if you're still in school um, and you're early and you haven't even started your career yet. You can apply for an internship. And then uh, what I would also do simultaneously is take all the super majors. Every single one of them has a trading part of their business. Uh, reach out to go go to their job postings on the website, reach out and see if that you can get your foot in the door there. If you consistently apply for the uh, trading, the the uh, entry trading positions on LinkedIn and also at the super majors, I promise you, uh, you'll get your name into the trading world. Um, there's a pretty decent churn for people that do that, to be quite honest, Joshua. Um, the rewards are very high, but the stress is also very high. And so there's, there's, there's burnout, quite frankly, that um, you know, that happens a lot. So if you are persistent in applying, I think you'll get a shot to come in the door. Uh, of course, you can come in as a junior level. They're going to uh, connect you with a um, more senior trader, and you'll learn it that way. But that you'll, you'll be able to get in the door, Joshua, if you do that. Okie doke. Uh, Geraldo Gayton says, apologize, not the best with technology to 
leave you one of the reviews you allude to when live. How can I exactly do leave a review? Thanks in advance. So Geraldo, I actually uh, answered you personally. I reached out directly. I took some screenshots. I think the problem you had is that you were using the link in the show notes and there was a period of time and we don't honestly know how long that period of time was where that link wasn't working. So when you clicked on it, it brought you nowhere. We have since fixed that. So if you had trouble leaving us a review with that link, it's now fixed. You can go to the show notes and click on it. The other thing is there's only a couple of platforms you can leave a review. Uh, um, Apple Podcasts is the main one, especially for business podcasts. So you have to have an Apple Podcast account to do it. Um, if you're doing it from your phone uh, and you're an Apple Podcast, what you want to do is actually go to the podcast main page. So not the episode, but the main page. Scroll all the way down and you'll see where there's reviews. And up in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see a hyperlink that says leave a review. And that's how you would do it in, in, in Apple Podcasts. But the link is now fixed, which allows you to post it in the several places you can leave us a review. And thank you for taking the time to write in and ask us how to leave a review. We love reviews. It's a way for... You can do it on Spotify, too. Do it on Spotify as well. Yeah. Yeah. We love reviews. It's a way to help other people find the podcast that, that get value out. So thank you, for Gerardo, for asking the question. And like I said, I've already answered you, uh, emailed you directly. All right. So Sean is an ops manager at a natural gas transmission company. And he says, Mark, one of your predictions is a boom for natural gas infrastructure. Yippee! Do you see any type of infrastructure uh, supply crunch coming because of the good neighbor rule and the upgrades to our infrastructure that will be forced upon us because of that mandate on top of the increase in predicted infrastructure demand due to the disappointment in how the renewables have panned out? Okay, so if you don't know what the good neighbor plan is, like a lot of stuff lately, it's a bad name or it's a it's a fun name for a bad plan oh good neighbor rule <laughs> good neighbor, yeah um so basically what that, that what that that rule is i think it was finalized in march actually Paige should probably check on that but she's the regulatory person not me and it basically is asking the states to help curve pollution from power generation plants from power plants and the pollution they're really looking at is nitrous oxide so nox emissions um now when you look at this natural gas infrastructure boom, a big part of that will be to feed natural gas to electrical generation plants because, like I said earlier, the renewables just, quite frankly, didn't work out. We still have a need for energy, and that need is increasing. So we need more and more natural gas here and around the world uh, to supply that, that demand for electricity. Now, the, the crunch... Um, that is coming because of the good neighbor rule is actually caused by this extra layer of administration on top of something that we really don't need to worry about with pipelines. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of nitrous oxide emissions from pipelines and new modern pipelines are not going to leak for several reasons. One is the potential fines. And we talked about before in the podcast, how uh, the EPA has basically weaponized those fines for any leak of methane, which is basically what natural gas is. But the other thing is when you lose natural gas or methane to the atmosphere, you're losing margin, you're losing profits. And so modern pipelines are designed not to have any of that happen and to also make sure that the sensing ability is there and the reporting ability is there in case something does leak so they know when it leaks, so they hurry up and fix it, and how much so they can argue with our federal government about what the fine should be. So um, I don't think the, um, the good neighbor rule uh, is going to cause a lot of issue with this boom in natural gas infrastructure. However, it is going to cause delays in the end buyer of that natural gas, which are the power plants here in the U.S. Um, 
nitrous oxide is something that you, you we need to be worried about. But if you look at our, our NOx emissions from, say, 1960s to, say, 2020, which I think is the last time I saw data on it, it's gone down every single year. And it went down dramatically during the Clean Air, Clean Air Act. Um, you know, it, uh, NOx is one of those things that, that uh, affects ozone. And then if you don't know this, there's uh, ozone that's naturally occurring, which protects us. And then there's ozone that is created by a bunch of things, including heat. Um, so this this power plant emissions uh, issue that the um, the good neighbors plan is trying to address is something that the power plants themselves were addressing already. And anytime you layer, you add another layer of, of legislation rulemaking that you have to administer, it adds a layer of cost. So I don't think it's going to affect the natural gas infrastructure boom. I do think it will affect some of the marginal power plants that were that had the budgets to be built that were borderline. Some of those may not be built until after our current administration changes throughout this year's presidential election. God, this is so be hopefully, a, Sean, that helped. That's going to be a wild year, that's for sure. <laughs> it is going to be. This year, it's going to be a wild year. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so next up is from Bianca. Hi, Mark and Paige. I recently joined the oil and gas industry in Africa, specializing in midstream and downstream supply chain. Your podcasts have been instrumental in my journey. As I prepare for the upcoming year, I seek your advice on specializations to enhance my role. Your insights would be immensely valuable in guiding uh, guiding my professional development. Thank you for your time and sharing your knowledge. Wishing you and the team a joyful holiday season. It was sweet. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to say something a lot of people may not think is the right thing for me to tell you. I would actually look into getting your project manager certification, Bianca. So if you're in supply chain already, you know this. A lot of the supply chain's improvements, and, and which, by the way, the entire oil and gas industry, upstream, midstream, downstream, and the service companies all have supply chain issues. They'll tell you they don't. They do. That's one of the areas that we really could learn from other industries like automotive, uh, airlines, that sort of stuff. So when you look at the supply chain constraints in, in any oil and gas company, and you, you're talking about midstream and downstream, so um, pipelines and refineries and petrochemical plants, part of cleaning it up is learning how to run them as efficient projects instead of as a cost center. So I think if you went and get your project management certification, go look up PMI. Um, they're all over the world. I'm not even say where in Africa you are. But I would go ahead and get my project management professional certification. You're going to have to document hours. It's going to be some paperwork. There's going to be some study involved. But I think in 2024 and moving forward in oil and gas, that's a that procurement supply chain professionals that are also PMI certified are going to pull way ahead of the ones that aren't. You'll also hear some people say that you need to talk, learn some big data analytics. That's true. But that big data analytics boom to your career, I think is already peaked. It's become so common. And with uh, uh, AI, especially becoming more and more mainstream, um, you're going to see less need for that big data analytics and more need for you to be able to run efficient projects. So I think I would get my PMI certification. Uh, so hopefully Bianca helps you. And that's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I've already tried that. It's not It's not my cup of tea. All right. Uh, the next is from Pear Liqueur. Is Are you related to this person? So I replied to him. And we actually think, or so we we both have common ancestors from France at the same time period. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, that's crazy. You find a family, <laughs> Pere Lacour, who is a equity analyst. Hi, Mark. I really like to listen to your weekly podcast, and I always learn something new. I'm an equity analyst covering the energy sector and based in Copenhagen, 
Denmark. I especially like when you talk about the current administration and their wrongdoings. I understand your favorable views on hydrocarbons and the importance of the products, but I was wondering how would you solve the issues of climate change if the solution is not less demand for hydrocarbons? Yes. So um, personally, Mark LaCour uh, does not believe there is any proof that man's activity has affected climate change. The climate is changing. We are warming up. Um, And if you understand a little bit of history, if you remember the first Americans actually walked here uh, from Asia, uh, and the reason they were able to walk to the Americas from Asia is the ocean was about 300 feet lower than it is now. That was about 15,000 years ago. And the reason it was lower is because that was the end of our last ice age. Uh, If you think about ice ages, which have happened many times in our past and will continue to happen every 15 or 20,000 years, in between the ice ages, you have to warm up. Right, you don't you don't look outside and see glaciers everywhere, so so I have seen zero proof that man's activity has influencing the speed of the pendulum swinging. So we go from ice age to warm period, ice age to warm period. You know, not that long ago we had the um, the Middle East, the um, the Roman warming period. Uh, we had a mini ice age in the 1800s. Um, so so personally, I don't believe man's activity has affected. Uh, Uh, climate change whatsoever. I think climate change is legit, but it's just natural. However, to answer your question, if man's activity has influenced climate change, um, and it's because of uh, releases of things like carbon dioxide, instead of of trying to lessen demand for hydrocarbons, which quite frankly is not going to happen, I would look at a couple things. So first thing is uh, uh, curbing population, which is happening naturally. Yep. If you look at all the ways you could sincerely reduce carbon dioxide emissions, the number one way is not having any children. Well, that's not right, and it's also not natural. Well, it's okay. The millennials are already <laughs> doing that for everybody. But that's the number one way. The other thing is when you use hydrocarbons without burning them, you don't release the carbon that's stored in them. So you can continue to use hydrocarbons without releasing any of the carbon that's in it, right? So then we need to move more toward other ways of providing energy without actually burning the hydrocarbons. And if you think about it, the number one way to do that is nuclear. It's the safest way. Uh, it's the most energy efficient way. We, it's proven technology. It's just in the 1970s, Greenpeace convinced the world that nuclear was bad because that time we were doing things that we shouldn't have been doing, like uh, free air hydrogen bomb testing. <laughs> so literally us and other yeah. countries were testing hydrogen bombs, which are exponentially more powerful than the atomic bomb we dropped on Hiroshima, in the air just because. Well, we stopped all of that. But if we, the world could move toward more nuclear power, if we could curve our population growth, which is already happening, and if we can put technologies in place where we don't combust hydrocarbons, you would not release that CO2 in the atmosphere. So, And you could do all of that without huge government subsidies, which basically eventually uh, number one, it tips the scale toward what's the free market desires, but also eventually affects the population of those countries because that money is being spent on subsidies instead of things like education, roads, stuff like that. So you could do everything I just rattled off by just helping the market make it more efficient and making sure that people can make money on not combustion hydrocarbons, making sure people can make money on slowing population growth, making sure people can make money on nuclear power. It would not be that hard to do. It'd be actually less effort than what our governments are doing now, uh, trying to move us toward renewables faster than we can actually implement that. So um, distant cousin Pierre LaCour, I hope that helps you. <laughs> well, that's so wild to me. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. Me neither. Um, okay, so next up is from Britton Poole. Uh, automation and electrical professional at Sunpool Resources. 
Mr. Mark and Miss Page. Thank you for taking my question and for being industry leaders. I love y'all's content and your drive uh, for the future of the industry. The reason I am writing is because I am a young entrepreneur seeking guidance on how EMP companies select vendors, specifically automation and electrical. My business partner and I are fully licensed, insured, and ready to work. But the barrier to entry is remarkable to say the least. We just can't seem to get a foot in the door. Thanks. So, Britton, let me tell you, uh, let me tell you what you're doing wrong from a sales point of view. You're coming into extremely large companies, the ENP companies, that have an extremely long history of working with certain vendors, and you're basically asking them to not work with those vendors and work with you. The reason you're not getting traction is because that is a risk. The existing vendors they're working with now, they know whether they do good work or they don't, and whether they have good prices or they don't, or whether they deliver on time or they don't. But because they know what they are, they can mitigate that risk. You, however, are a unknown, and so you're risky. So you're basically going to be beating your head against the wall from a sales point of view. I tell you this from experience. You need to go take a roundabout way to get in with the EMPs. So all the EMPs actually don't do a lot of the process automation work themselves. They have contractors that do it, and those contractors have very select vendors. You need to approach the vendors for process automation um, and uh, figure out how you can become an approved vendor with the actual vendor. And by doing that, you're now will be introduced to the contractors who are doing the work for the E&P companies. So if I was you, I'd reach out to the standard ABB, Emerson, Rockwell, Siemens, Snyder Electric, Honeywell, um, and figure out how you get on their approved vendors list. It's much easier than trying to get on approved vendors list with, say, Shell. At the same time, also volunteer to be a contractor for them, which you're basically making money for the companies I just rattled off. That will then get you in the door to the contractors that the big EMPs hire. Now, once you're in the door with the contractor, the EMPs are hiring. You got to be very careful. The EMP hired the contractor you're working for, not you. So it's probably against your contract you're assigned with the contractor and also unethical for you to try to form relationships with those same companies that the contractor got you in the door with, right? However, there is absolutely nothing wrong with you making friends, right? So if you're doing work for, say, a, a, a Chevron facility and you're doing a, a process automation, electrical work for them through a contractor, you don't want to try to steal that contractor's business with shell because that's wrong it's unethical and probably breaks your contract at the same time you can meet all the shell guys that are supervising this work you can make sure you do a damn good job right you can make sure that you're there after hours um, that you're available anytime something's wrong or there's an emergency and you will now start naturally forming those relations with the emps and give it enough time they will then reach out to you directly which is totally legal and ethical. Um, and you may end up being the contractor that we're talking about right now that later needs to hire subcontractors. If you get there or when you get there, Britain, remember how I helped you. And when you're the prime contractor for Shell and Chevron and all the other ENPs, make sure you help these little guys get in the door, give them a shot. Um, let the, you know, let the two man uh, companies come in the door and be a subcontractor to you so you can pay this for it. But if you follow what I just said, Britain, you will get in the door and make some money and start forming those relationships was eventually will lead you to have the relationships with the EMP companies to be the prime contractor. Right on. Okay, so uh, the next one is from Chase. Hi, Paige and Mark. I've recently graduated, and it has 
been a long search to break into the oil and gas industry. Ooh, here's another one. Uh, your podcast has helped me ace my interview. Awesome. And securely find a job <laughs> as a well site engineer. So thank you for all your work. That's awesome. I'm, mo- I'm motivated to do my best in my role. What do you think the new generation of oil and gas workers need to do in it to advance in the industry? What advice would you give to young engineers? And we take first stab at that? Yeah. So there's two separate questions here, two separate answers. So um, the first one is, what do you think the new generation oil and gas workers need to do to advance the industry? You need to learn and respect and appreciate the older people that have been doing this. Yeah. And at the same time, be okay to go outside the box, right? So your first day at the job, you can't be trying to do things differently. It's, 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 a, it's a risk. You're going to end up getting somebody hurt probably yourself, uh, you end up looking bad, make friends with the older people in the industry, the experienced people, learn from them for a couple of years, and then when you see places that the industry can't approve, go ahead and try to get it done. But you have the now you'll have the relationship with the older people that, to internally, politically, maybe get these changes done. Um, you know, There's a joke I make all the time, and I've been making it for as long as we've been doing this podcast about how the oil and gas industry uses Microsoft Excel in ways it's not designed <laughs> to use it for. And Microsoft, I love Excel. It's a great product. You should not be running a multi-billion dollar project on a 72-tab Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. So, Chase, you could be the one that could bring in a different tool other than Microsoft Excel in that moment to help run projects. And that's just an example I'm giving you. So, so learn from the older people. Um, Because they've forgotten more than you'll know in your first 10 years. Respect them, right? They may be grumpy old people, but they've done this for a long time, and and they are really, really good at what they do. Then once you have that relationships with them, and once you have the knowledge or some of the knowledge, then you can see what changes you can make to advance the industry. Um, The other thing I would tell you about this is vote. Yep. Um, regardless if you agree with me or Paige or any of our podcasters politically, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Make sure you make your voice heard. If you want to make changes and advance this industry, you need to vote and you need to encourage your peers to. So that's my advice on advancing industry. What advice do I give to a young engineer? I will tell you right now, network, network, yep. network. <laughs> um, you're busy. Um, I don't know if you have a family yet or if you're married or have a girlfriend, a boyfriend or have kids or, or whatever. Um, but what you could tend to do is once you get settled down in your job as a, as a young engineer is, is get your work done and go home, relax, watch Netflix, whatever. You need to carve out some time to meet other people in your company that do other things. Go find out what the project accountants are doing, right? Go learn what HR, HR is doing. Go talk to your accounts receivable people. Make friends with all those people and then get outside of your company and volunteer with organizations that are in the oil and gas space and network. The more you can increase your circle of acquaintances professionally in this industry, the better you are you can be as a young engineer. And when the next downturn comes, you're going to have more stability, more job security, and probably more job offers than the ones that didn't spend the time networking. It's really easy to think that networking is not important, especially in 2024. I'm telling you, it's probably the most important thing you can do for your career now and moving forward. Well, I'm glad you took the first step because you said everything I was going to say. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, thank you for that. I guess I'm just going to save my breath. No, but really, um, the, the, the whole respecting and, 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 and learning from 
you know, the older people, that that's a huge thing because as an elder millennial, that was something I really struggled with because I'm like, why are we using, you know, Excel spreadsheets, going back to that for daily reports when we, we should have an automated way of doing that. And that eventually happened down the line when I... I got to work with more people my age. So, um, yeah, d- yeah. Make it, make sure you learn everything you possibly can from the older people. So, all right. So, um, next one is from Eric Baker. I started listening to you from day one. Big fan. I'm an independent operator in West Texas, primarily selling natural gas at Waha Price Index. Did you say Waha? Or is yep, it? that's Okay, right. good. I was like, hmm. I, too, believe the only thing consistent in the oil and gas business is inconsistency itself. Prices always move up and down. Not necessarily the case on the Waha ride. You might miss out on some of the peak pricing at the uh, system is packed. Uh, My question is, what are your thoughts to pipeline constant issues and when this whole mess will be resolved. So I think he mistyped there. I think Spellcheck caught him. I don't oh. think it's supposed to be constant. I think, I think it's, it's consistent. Constraint. Constraint. Oh, okay. Okay. So Eric, if I'm right about that, then I'm going to answer your question. If I'm wrong about that, then I just answered an imaginary question in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so the Waha Hub, if you don't know, is uh, I think it's, it's really close to Permian Basin. Um, and it's basically a, a competitor to the Henry Hub, which we all, all heard of. Right. That's where the pricing is set. Now, the problem is there's a difference in pricing between the Waha Hub and the Henry Hub, of course, because there's different uh, economic models and there's and both of them are having constraints right now. So if I'm right, um, Eric, that you actually meant to type in constraint, um, this whole mess will never really be resolved because you only build pipeline infrastructure as the, the demand is there for the capacity, for the carrying capacity. It's very rare that you build pipeline infrastructure in the hopes that you can get contracts to, to, to fill that pipe up. So the, the mess will always be there. However, the, the big inconsistency we have now and the huge constraints we have right now are being worked on literally as we speak. I talked about this uh, in my predictions. Um, I think the Permian is going to boom. There's also a boom in natural gas infrastructure, which is basically what we're talking about with this question right here. And it's just going to take time to source the pipe, uh, get the capital, uh, get the the feed work done, get the guys out there to set the pipe to weld, to, to quality control, all that sort of stuff. So I think the biggest part of this constraint issue will probably be resolved 2025, end of 2025, beginning of 2026. The work is being done now. We just have to wait for all those pipelines to come on to come online. However, there will always be a delta between the amount of product, or in this case, natural gas you can move, and the carrying capacity of the system, because it doesn't make economic sense to overbuild the capacity. So hopefully, Eric, that helps you. Okie doke. Um, next is Carson. Love the show. Show y'all are a unit. You, uh, Mark, you mentioned you predict Exxon is going private next year. As someone that is finishing up school and then starting with Exxon, I'm curious how that works. So I have a run-on question for you. Who would pay the shareholders the 400-some-odd million dollars? Do you require the employees to all chip in a percentage? And if you do, what do the employees gain from owning that private share? Carson, how are you finishing up school and just starting with your new job at Exxon and have these type of level of questions? <laughs> I actually love this. Here's a young person that's, that's looking very far ahead. 
So first thing, Carlson, Exxon doesn't call me and ask my advice on this. They should. Exxon, if you're listening, you know you should. I uh, love you to death. Um, Howard, so what I'm about to tell you is guessing. And make sure, listeners, you do not make any financial decisions on what I'm about to tell you, because I'm not an expert at this. This is literally a guess based on my experience and the fact I know uh, the company pretty darn good. So the first thing I think would happen uh, – who is this? Carlson. First thing I think would happen, Carlson, is you're going to have a reverse stock split. And basically, that's to reduce the number of shareholders or the shareholders of record. That's going to make it easier for Exxon to do what I think they're going to do next, which is basically – is they're going to have a management buyout. And this is a transaction in which the company is typically taken private by its own management team. And if you know Exxon and its management team, they're enormous, but they know what they're doing. Um, there's not a private equity company, I think, in the world that Exxon would, would want to partner with for, for going private. So I think that type of uh, um, deal is off the table, but I think a management buyout is absolutely on the table because what happens is the Exxon management team truly are insiders and they really are familiar with their business. They know it backwards and forwards. And I think part of that would be that the the, uh, employee, the company's existing employees, not all of the employees, there's going to have to be a certain threshold, but a percentage of the existing employees are going to be offered a chance uh, to buy these shares. Um, now you're talking about a lot of lot of money. It's actually probably more than four hundred some odd million dollars, like you said. Um, so, I, I, but I think if you look at the management takeover, the reverse stock split, and then the ability for some of the employees to actually participate in this, the finances make total sense to me. Um, if that's what Exxon does, then it's pure luck. I guessed it right. <laughs> like I said, don't make any investment price advice on, on or any investment actions on what I just rattled off. But fantastic question, Carson. All right. Next one comes from Robert. Hey, Mark and Paige. I had my first project, uh, per, first project in upstream in oil and gas industry this year, and used your show to help ramp up and understand the industry. Some book recommendations you gave were particularly helpful, so thank you for all the knowledge you share. What do you think of the recent Harbor Energy acquisition of Winter Shaw? So um, this is part of the M&A activity. It's all been spurred off by what happened with Chevron and Exxon and, and everybody else buying everybody buying competitors, right? Basically buying access to hydrocarbons, whether here locally at the Shell plays in the U.S. or, or around the world. So um, Harbor Energy acquired uh, Wintershaw's non-Russian assets, and that's very important to remember. So the Russian assets are off the table. Um, and this is all around North Sea assets. Now, the, the issue with the North Sea is the financial models and the actual production formulas are extremely well known because we've worked there for such a long time. We know how to make money in North Sea. However, the North Sea reservoirs are slowly declining, and we, we know that. Um, the other thing that we that, that this deal has to look out for is the windfall tax issues that are still being batted around in Europe right now. So by, by them actually making this acquisition, um, it's going to allow them to grow. But the biggest thing that they don't talk about in this acquisition is it's going to give them access to lower cost sources of capital. So in the North Sea, when the way to make money is known, is public, and you have a lot of people that have done it very successfully for 70, 80, 90 years, the differentiator could be something as simple as a lower cost of capital. And that's what I think the deal, this deal actually brings to the table. Um, but but awesome that you liked our books. Um, and so thank you again for, for being a listener. 
Uh, so Bruce Lynn wants to know how he can get on the Rick tour because he's bringing, he'll even bring beef jerky. So Bruce, that means you listen to our holiday episodes. So, so thank you. Um, Paige, I've actually gotten a lot, probably over 150 people have reached out since the holiday episode. Aired. Well, what's interesting about that is, I mean, we could probably make it happen, especially if you donate to Red M. Ooh, that so, might be something we can dis- discuss with NOV about. Yeah, so you just now opened a can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, Bruce, thank you for listening to our holiday episode. Um, like I said, a lot of people really loved it, thought it was funny. Um, I have arranged a rig tour for our team, for the OGGN team. Um, what I'm going to do, Bruce, is I'm going to reach out to you. I don't know what teamlin.com is, um, but I'm going to reach out to you directly. Most probably, Bruce, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to join us. However, I am thinking about finding a sponsor for this and using it to create some content to actually support one of the charities that we support here in Houston, which is what Paige just right off Red M. So if if you wanted to play a part in there, maybe, right? So I'm, let me reach out to you directly and see what this is. But don't get your hopes up, Bruce. I, it's You can still in, bring brief jerky if you want to. It's almost impossible to get. Yeah put your foot on a rig in today's world and and i've only been on one yeah and for me to pull this off this is actually the second time in my life i've pulled this off the odds are i'll not gonna be able to ever do it again (laughs) so this is a once in a lifetime thing but let me reach out to you directly bruce and if and if we can have you join us we will just don't get your hopes up because i don't think we'll be able to do it yep sorry um Travis Whaling, I would like to see you do a show on the situation in Canada. The Canadian government has mandated that no more internal combustion engine vehicles will be sold past 2035. We have enough infrastructure to support less than uh, 1.5% of the electric cars on the road. Canada is vast and cold, and the environment will not support electrical vehicles in most locations. Okay, Travis, so two things. Number one, we're not going to do an episode of that on Only Gas this week. It doesn't fit this show. However, you know what, Travis? For you, I'm going to do an episode of this on Behind the Curtain. I'm sorry, not Behind the Curtain, Travis. I'm going to do an episode of this on The Balance <laughs> wrong Point. Wrong podcast. Yeah, wrong podcast. Um, so um, um, I will actually reach out to you and let you know when that episode airs. I will, for you as a listener, and other listeners don't think I'm going to do episodes for everybody, but this is a good topic. Behind the Curtains, my personal uh, podcast that is behind uh, Apple's paywall. It's like $3 a month or $2.99 a month to listen to that, and you get access to Behind the Curtain, which is uh, Paige and I on this show when we close shut down the mic. That's where you get to hear me cuss. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it's a great it's a great topic because it is a real situation that is not workable. Yeah. So I will do an episode, Travis, for you on the balance point, and I'll let you know when that episode goes out. Just get rid of Trudeau. That'll solve so many things. Oh, God. I, I, I don't even go there. All right. So this week in petroleum history, what do we got, Mark? It's our favorite time. Yeah. It's not really yours. It's my favorite time. Though. I love this. Yeah. So mm. guess what? Chicken butt. (laughs) January 1st, 1973. And I don't remember this because I was eight years old and I was not in the oil and gas industry at eight. It wasn't until I was nine that I got in the oil and gas industry. But anyway. (laughs) So dumb. Esso, which was the branded name of ExxonMobil, becomes ExxonMobil. So Standard Oil New Jersey, which was part of the big Rockefeller thing, uh, um, had a name called Esso. And strangely enough, I actually used to uh, – 
buy, restore, and sell old Mustangs. And I have an old Esso credit card that I found in the, oh, in the that's door neat. of a 1968 Mustang. That's right? cool. And I still have it. So Esso uh, rebranded to become Exxon. Um, and so that happened in January 1st, 1973. Um, then January 2nd, 1866, the first patent for a rotary rig came out, um, which was a huge improvement in being able to drill through rock. Then uh, 1882, January 2nd, uh, Rockefeller organized as a standard oil trust. So that was basically, he knew that there was going to be some legal action coming his way. So he took all of his different companies and formed it into standard oil trust, which controlled actually almost all of the U.S. <laughs> oil and gas industry. Um <laughs> 40 or 50 companies he put in that. And um, and that he also controlled the transportation through the rail. And that's what ended up um, causing the U.S. Supreme Court mm -hmm. to say uh, he had a monopoly and broke everything up in 1911, um, which, and strangely enough, then gave Rockefeller stock in a whole bunch of the companies that were broken up and made him even richer, which is not what they were trying to do. <laughs> Backfire. Uh, yep. January 2nd, 1932. Uh, that's when Union 76 brand was born. Uh, it was launched at service stations in the west part of the U.S., you still see the logo out there. That's an orange ball with a blue seven to six in it. And then I hated this, even though I wasn't driving yet, but I remember it. January 2nd, 1974. Then President Nixon sets nationwide speed limit at 55 well, miles. Well, we all know how he makes just such great decisions. Well, no, so let me tell you what happened. This is during the era of oil embargo, and there was not enough fuel to run this country. Oh, that makes we sense. We did not have a strategic petroleum reserve. We, we, were, we still kind of don't. <laughs> we were wide open for another country to come in and, and do some really um, big warfare stuff that we, would, we were not able to fuel our war machine. We were in a very vulnerable place. Right. So this is a way to conserve fuel. Um, however, like Sammy Hagar said, I just can't drive 55. No. Nobody's going to get that reference if you nope, you're 45 I, or older. Nope. <laughs> and then <laughs> at last one, Jerry 4th, 1948, guess what? Wildcat Well and the Permian found the deep formations that we now know are the shell plays. Nice. So there is our week in petroleum history. While you're listening to us, remember, you can go to the show notes and you're going to click on that a link for the one question survey so you can get a, a OGGN hard hat or laptop sticker. But also there'll be links for our Sunday update and our all and gas events newsletter. Just sign up for both. The Sunday update's fun. There's recipes in there, discount coupons. You get to see behind the scenes at OGGN. And then especially if you're in sales and marketing, you want to know where all these oil and gas conferences and trade shows expos are. The oil and gas events newsletter is all of them put in your inbox once a month for free. Sign up. They're both super valuable weekly rig count where are okay we? well this is a little behind um because of the holidays but as of december 29th the united states is up to at 622 canada's oh man canada is down 60 um at uh 86 and internationally as of november 2023 uh up 16 at 978. Yeah. Uh, wait till next time we do this and see what those numbers are. These yeah. numbers are a little bit dated. Yeah. But that's, the, that's what happens. Uh, the other thing that happens is this show, the first Friday Q&A, is only possible because you ask questions. Uh, just go to OGGN.com. Go to um, Only Ask This Week. There's a place for you to ask your question. You can also ask your questions on social. I get, I'm actually getting quite a few of them now on LinkedIn. Uh, also on Twitter, just do not message us on Facebook Messenger because nobody checks that. Uh, we are working on TikTok, so pretty soon you may be able to ask questions there. 
Uh, if you want myself or any of our experts to Yeah, come. no, let's not let's not do any video. We already had that issue with another person, and then we have to transcribe it and then stick it in the show notes. So don't unless it's unless it's in the comments on TikTok. Okay. We'll get, we'll <laughs> now get, that I got it off my chest, okay. okay, I feel better. Good, I'm glad you feel better. One of my self favor experts to come to your event. Uh, let us know. You can do everything from a keynote to a live podcast. Actually, next week we're doing a live podcast um, at a sales and marketing event right here, actually in the woodlands. So that should be a blast. Yeah, because it's going to be my birthday. It is going to be actually. It is. I think it yeah. is your birthday. I what know. Are you, 20, I was like, I was five now. Yeah, totally. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for scheduling stuff on my birthday. <laughs> that isn't a party. There better be drinks. <laughs> Noted. And I cannot think of a better reason to close this thing down. You ready? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. Oh,